In this episode of the Fit for Golf podcast, I am joined by John Novosel. John is a teacher, inventor, excellent golfer, and long drive competitor. He is probably best known for the famous Tor Tempo training tones and some of the unique speed training tools he has created. John has a really in-depth understanding of the golf swing, how speed is created, and how to coach it, which he clearly demonstrates in this episode. Did you know there is a Fit for Golf app loaded with training material? It is the only golf fitness resource you will ever need and is currently being used by six PGA Tour players, two European Tour players, and thousands of amateurs all over the world. Check it out on www.fitforgolf.blog and use the code FFGTRIAL to get a one-month trial for just $6. You will not find it in the App Store. You must go to my website. Now to John Novosel. John Novosel, thank you very much for joining me on the Fit for Golf podcast. I am very happy to have you as a guest. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. John, can you give us a little bit of insight into what you do in the golf world? You are Tor Tempo on uh, social media, so Instagram, Twitter, and your website. But can you tell us what exactly you do and maybe what Tor Tempo is? Oh, sure thing. Um, I'm, I've got a lot of jobs in the golf world, as we were just discussing. I'm, uh, you know, my dad and I have a company called Tour Tempo, um, and it's, a, it's training aids for something that's right up your alley, which is speed, you know, helping golfers hit farther. We've got the Tour Tempo apps and books, which is about actually how to use these discoveries that my dad made of tempo and that I've made to improve your golf swing. Um, so there's the training aids. Then we've got, you know, I do personal, you know, golf schools or but uh, lessons, those types of things. Um, and then I do some uh, cool video work and things like that for Bushnell Golf. So I'm, I'm just involved in a lot of different ways in the world of golf. Fantastic. Um, can you tell us a little bit also about your own golf and competition? I know you're a super high club head speed uh, golfer and you compete in some long drive stuff. So can you... Tell the listeners a little bit about that because I know they'll be interested in how you kind of blend, I suppose, the, the things you've learned with how you apply it to your own game and your own competition in, in long drive. Sure thing. I'm going to go back just a little bit. I played golf in college for K-State and then I, I didn't try to pursue being a pro or anything like that. I wasn't quite good enough, but I always, I always was fascinated with hitting the ball far. And this was, you know, hitting the ball far probably became – started to become big with Tiger, but I think it's obviously huge now. But this is, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I, I was always fascinated with hitting the ball far. And in 2006, I got into long drive. And I was, you know, I'm six foot. And at the time, I was 165 pounds. And I was doing, you know, 195 ball speed, which back then, 195 ball speed was, you know, especially for my size, you know, really fast. Now, 195, there's guys on the PGA Tour that can do that. But it's only one of them. <laughs> yeah, well, only a couple. Yeah, only a couple. And, and granted, I mean, I had six balls and, you, you know, you, you just had to get one in play. So it's not like I was trying to, you know, it wasn't like I was playing competitively. But uh, um, so I played at some fairly high levels, you know, not not as a tour pro, but I've, I've always been interested in the speed thing. And what I did to get that speed was one year I, I said to myself, you know, I kind of want to do this long drive. It's a lot of fun. And back then, long drive was a very underground sport. But I said to myself, okay. 
what am I going to do to gain speed? And I, I realized that like jogging and things like that, that I was doing was so that wasn't helping me. So I only did sprinting. I changed the way I worked out in the gym to, which is really a lot of, a lot of the things that you're just preaching right now. It's exactly what I did to gain my speed. I went from about 120 mile an hour or 118 to about 136 club at speed. And it's all the things you preach, getting stronger, sprinting, power, all these different things. And then I combined that with the training aids my dad had created at the time and also the tour tempo. So, uh, you know, you put all that together. I made that commitment sort of to speed. I went for six months without hitting a golf ball because I that, well, part of it was because the winners here sometimes are not good. But what that allowed me to do was focus completely on my body, my training and my speed work and not ever have to worry about, oh, I got to hit a ball straight or I have to hit a ball quotation marks right. And I think what really can slow people down when they're trying to train for speed is they, they've they got a tournament next week or they've got this or that or whatever it might be. And they've got to sort of keep it in play, so to speak. And granted, yes, you do eventually need to keep it in play. But if you don't make that jump for speed or that commitment to do it, and you're always worrying about having to play or this or that, it's harder to make that progress. So that really helped me not hitting balls for a long time because it just led me to focus on what I needed to do. Now, I will say this. When I came out after that six-month layoff and went to my first long drive event, I literally hit a bucket of balls that were the worst bucket of balls I'd ever hit because I had gained all this speed and I hadn't hit a ball. But the second bucket of balls I hit, I started to figure it out, as we all do. I give the analogy. It's kind of like you've been driving a Mack truck. Now you're driving a Ferrari. It's going to be, you're going to be a little bit all over the road, but eventually everybody learns how to uh, drive that car, straighten it out. Um, so that's a, that's a long story there, but I think it talks a little bit about me and my background. And then, so I, I never made it to the worlds or anything like that. I mean, the guys in long drive, even back then were huge, except for one Jamie Sedlowski. Um, but who is outrageously strong. I mean, how he is, have you seen the video he does deadlifts of, yeah. 495 pounds, eight reps. For, for yes, exactly. Which is uh, an important thing for the people who use him as an example. For long drivers, don't need to be super big or super strong to get to the 150 and 155 mile per hour club head speeds. They forget that kind of fact that while he might not look as strong as some of them, he is unbelievably strong. He's absolutely unbelievably strong. And I've always been pound for pound, very strong. I've been able uh, to deadlift some serious weights. I've been able to, now I kind of modify it for my body um, and my flexibility, which I think you're really big on. Like I don't necessarily pull from the floor because I yeah. think that's very dangerous. Um, but you, it's a great point you make. Jamie is unbelievably strong. But so just recently, I finally kind of had the time and the, the, uh, energy and all those things to start to really put some effort into my speed. And I've gained some speed recently. So um, I'm almost back to where I was back then. And I'm going to try to do some of the senior events this year. And so, so I was just, I was just going to say, how old are you now? I'm 52. Yeah. 52. yeah so, you're, so you're 52 years old and you're nearly as fast or faster than you were when you were 22 or 25. Well, that was, I, I actually was faster at 36 than I was at 22. I gained, you know, that's, yes. yeah. So, but yeah, I'm almost as fast as I was at age 36. And to be honest, I had two injuries that were unrelated to golf that were, I mean, I had a major ACL tear and, and a, another one, but uh, um, had I not had those, I think I would be, could be faster than I was back then. 
Yeah, so a, a, te a testament to definitely a message that I try and preach daily, if not or weekly, if not daily, that um, age is only one element of why people may be getting slower or maybe losing distance, but it's one that they often like to put all of the blame on. Yeah, it's it's a terrible excuse. Uh, there may be things that come with age, like you're not moving as much or you sit too much or whatever, but that's that's not really age's fault. And and to be honest, I've found, especially even recently, just because you get older, I mean, I've found you can actually get stronger. I really have seen that. And a lot of the, the I think this, and you may know more about this than I do, but I think a lot of the heavy duty uh, world records for weightlifting are done by older guys that have been lifting for a while. Is that true? So, yeah, a really good point there. Um, and golf, the golf swing power is kind of a blend of the two in that the first thing I would say as people are getting older is like people often kind of compare themselves to say athletes who start to get a little bit slower as they get older. Right. But we need to remember that these are athletes who have been, say, training professionally from maybe their late teens until their mid-30s. And they're starting to slow down in terms of they're no longer at their absolute peak capabilities. because And they can't keep getting better through their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s in terms of speed or power. But if you're someone who from, let's just say, 18 to 40 hasn't been doing a whole lot, you can get way better from 40 to 45 than you were when you were 25 and doing nothing. 100% agreed. Yeah. And that, that also is the same for like someone who's 65 or 75. Like they think that because they're at an age where most people are declining, that they can't improve. But if you haven't been doing much for the last 10 or 15 or 30 years, and as soon as you start training, you can absolutely improve. Like I think anybody who trains people in that age demographic has seen it. And kind of regardless of what age someone is, there's somebody your age who is doing unbelievable physical things. Spend 10 minutes on YouTube and you'll you'll find out, you know. But what is interesting, what you said there about um, strength as you age, definitely if you look at high-level athletics, um, like we don't see super fast sprinters, like relative to, um, let's say, elite level, people tend to go out of the, you know, Olympics and world championships and, you know, competing for world records and things like that at a much earlier age than we see elite strength sport athletes. It seems that speed is a, and by this I mean like sprinting speed, seems to be a capability that drops off much earlier than maximum strength does. Um, if you think of like, say, powerlifting, like squat, bench and deadlift numbers. But what's important here for golfers is that while we talk about, say, the golf swing in terms of speed, the golf swing is really not a measure of like physical speed. It's more so a measure of physical power because the golf club is moving at like 100, you know, 100 or 130 miles an hour or 150 miles an hour, depending on who you are. We automatically think, man, this is a, a speed sport, but the golf club is moving exceptionally fast because it's at the end of your kind of say two and a half or three feet long arms. And then the head is at the end of the 45 inch shaft. That's moving very quickly because it's on such a long radius. It's like if you're swinging a long pole versus a short pole, but our body isn't actually moving that quickly especially relative to other sports. We have plenty of time to produce the force necessary to create speed in the golf swing. And what that means is that it's not just about being super fast. 
It's about being able to create tons of force, and that comes with strength, which we can keep going with, like way, way on later <laughs> in life. Talking about, about strength, and, and what, what everything you're starting to say to me. First of all, I, I completely agree. But what it's all leading to in my mind is is the tempo thing, and what you and I have had some conversations about is that in order, you know, and maybe this is a good point to, to kind of talk about where tour tempo came from, and, and then talk how that leads to speed. Was that work? Yeah, I was just going to say before we moved on, um, it would be good for you because when you were talking about how you didn't hit a ball for six months, but you, you know, trained exceptionally hard physically and you used some of the training aids that your dad had created, maybe touch on the research that your dad did and what he found out and what we actually mean by when we keep saying tour tempo, like what that actually originated from. Yeah. So as you, as you've seen, you've actually got my dad's speed ball and, and, uh, we market that and you'll see it on my social media. And that's that little Velcro pad that you hit into with the club. And back in, gosh, I want to say 1998 or nine or somewhere a long time ago, we did an infomercial and we had LPGA tour players that had gained speed with it. And this is sort of the story of how tour tempo got created. So what we noticed was Jan Stevenson was a U.S. Open champion and they just happened to be editing the video and noticed that she took her backswing in just under a second, it was 27 frames. There's 30 frames per second in standard video. So hers was 27. And then she came down in nine frames to impact. So it was 27 and nine. And my dad... Just just, just so people understand this, John, I, I've like talked to you about this before, but you were looking at video and basically going back through it or forwarding through in slow motion, going frame by frame exactly. by frame on the video and measuring how many frames of video it took, basically how many how many presses of the button on the remote it took to go from back to go from takeaway to top of backswing and then top of backswing to impact. That's exactly right. And one of the reasons my dad was sort of able to discover tour tempo is that a lot of people that were looking at video were looking at time frames. They were looking at 0.83 of a second and then 0.27 of a second. And if I rattle those two off to you, those don't make sense in your brain. But 27.9, you know it quickly. That's a three to one ratio. Mm-hmm. So my dad didn't think much of that. But then I was a huge Tiger fan. And uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but I hope Tiger gets well, definitely. And, yeah. uh, you know, let's hope he gets well. But anyway, Tiger had just won the 97 Masters by like a gazillion shots. And I had a lot of video of that. My dad said, hey, let's check Tiger, see what he was. So Tiger's tempo was 27 frames back, nine frames down. And my dad couldn't believe that. He was shocked and he thought... Well, maybe all these golfers are 27.9. We just can't tell because to the naked eye, just who knows. So he started just getting frame rates of all these golfers, and I was helping him. And what we noticed was 27.9 was not the magic, but the three-to-one ratio. But the other crazy thing we noticed was we were seeing 24.8 and 21.7. And if you do a little math, you had 21 plus 7, that's 28. 28's less than 30. That means from takeaway all the way back to impact, they're doing that in less than a second. But we kind of went, whoa, that goes against everything that we've ever heard about golf, the rhythm of the golf swing. You're supposed to swing low and slow and smooth and all these things. Yet here's the best players in the world and, and you know, really the longest hitting guys as well for the most part. And guess what? They're not swinging low and slow. They've got this special ratio of three to one. And then we started looking at Tiger, like during these U.S. Open victories when he would win by a bunch. And his tempo on every full swing was exactly the same. So what we came up with as as far as the definition of tour tempo was a three to one ratio of backswing to downswing. 
the overall elapsed time is faster than you think. So it's about a second or less depending. And then the consistency. And then what you're going to see with average golfers is pretty much the opposite. It's, it's not a three to one ratio. It's usually four or five to one. It's 1.3 or 1.4, 1.6 seconds. And then they're not consistent. And part of the reason that they're like that is that they didn't know what tempo was. And then it, when they did go to tempo, they were using words like low and slow and rhythm, which those words don't really have any inherent meaning. There's no real meaning to the word slow. We don't know what does that mean. But if I tell you, hey, we're going to swing 27.9 today or 24.7 or 24.8 or 21.7, and then I play these tones that we've created, you're, you know exactly what that is. So that's what tour tempo is. And the and real the, interesting oh, the go tones, ahead. yes. So the tones are available like through your phone or iPad on an app. Like I've had them for a few years and I've used them. It's extremely simple. You can basically just open up the app, select whether you want to start, whether you want to start. It's it, they're all in a three to one ratio, but you have basically fast, medium, slow, three to one ratios that you can play around with and basically start matching up your swing to and see which kind of suits your say internal tempo. It, that's exactly right. And the cool, so that, so when we discovered tour tempo, we're like, well, here's this, here's tour tempo, these three things. Well, how are we going to help people? So we created these tones. And so I'm going to just give you like, Oh yeah. Good idea. Here's, this is tiger in his heyday and Rory McIlroy now 21 seven. So right. explain what these three tones are. are doing. Sure. Bump, 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 start, top, impact, start, top, impact. So what happens is when golfers hear those for the first time, they say, no way I can swing that fast, right? And then the next thing that happens as they start to swing that fast is they say, I don't have time for conscious thoughts. And when I, when I first started hearing that, I was like, wow, this is golden because what really kills golfers is all the conscious thinking, Right. If you've trained in the gym, if you've done your programs, and then you're going to play, you, you've got it all in you. The last thing you want to do is try to control it consciously. It won't work. The time frames don't allow it. So by, by doing these tones, you really cut off the conscious uh, thinking mind. The other thing it does is it gets you focused when you're on the driving range so you can really start to actually dial in your tempo, and it gives you the correct cues. Now, I want to actually play Bryson DeChambeau's for you. It's beyond fast. And what's interesting about Bryson is he started at 24.8 and then he got all the way down to 18.6. And he did that with a bigger body. So he's moving more mass faster and he took a longer swing. So everyone's talking about how strong Bryson's gotten and how that increased his club head speed. And that is true. You and I both know that. But his tempo is also contributed to his club head speed. So it's been a huge side benefit of, of, of doing tour tempo. And you can talk to your experience with it. When you swing faster with the tempo, you actually swing faster with your club head speed. And I've seen that just throughout when people do that. So that's been a huge benefit. And I know that appeals to, you know, your listeners and, and really almost anybody playing golf now is how can I hit the ball farther? And I want to do it quickly. Well, start swinging faster tempo. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think something that is important to know too is like, I'm not a golf instructor. I don't think you are either technically correct. You you well, do some I, coaching, I, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm certified yeah. with TPI and, and 
So, so, yeah, but Melbourne well, stuff. But I'm not it, the, an American member, no. But yeah, yeah. But the, the the point is still is still relevant, and I think you know whoever's listening can kind of take it at its its own merit. But swinging at a faster tempo and swinging with a faster clubhead speed and eliminating the time for conscious thought and trying to control it, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to hit the ball worse at all. Oftentimes, <laughs> oftentimes it's the opposite because a lot of the first kind of you know, rebuttal from people when they hear about something that's, you know, faster speed or higher tempo. It's like, well, I just want to slow it down so that I can make sure I control it. I want to keep the ball, you know, going straight in front of me, not off into the trees. But I think, you know, you have a lot more experience from this uh, or in this than me with your golf schools is that oftentimes as people ramp up the tempo, everything starts to get moving better because they're not trying to overly control it. And then all of a sudden the the speed and the accuracy improves. And that's what we see with pros. Like pros aren't just faster than amateurs. They're also much, much faster. They're also much, much more accurate. 100% agree. Yeah, the the there's this misconception or this myth that we all hold on to that if I swing slower, I'll somehow have more control. But if you look at Michael Jordan going up for a dunk or just any great at Tom, you know, or I'm going to say Patrick Mahomes throwing a pass. You know, if you look for any of these great athletes doing their thing there's there's like you said there's hardly any conscious thought they're doing it quickly and it doesn't take away from control so i will say this if you're trying to learn a new move a new motor pattern in your golf swing by all means do that as slow as you can get the motion right but when it's game time or time to go to the range and hit balls and do things at, at real speed swinging faster will not make you hit it offline or any of those other things necessarily if your if your grip's bad and your t- your you know posture's bad and you're swinging off plane, you're coming over the top, then yeah, maybe you, we need to get you a golf lesson or two to get those things figured out, and then you know you can do your tempo or do the tempo with it. But uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I've never seen anybody necessarily um, try to swing faster and it it makes things worse. Normally, it always makes things better. But that being said. You can't just think you're going to go to 18.6 and that's going to be better. I think everybody's got their sweet spot. When people start with the tones, John, is it essentially the first thing that becomes alarming and that they need to change almost right away? Is it's their takeaway and backswing is just very, very slow and they need to get more comfortable with a much more dynamic movement of the club away from the ball? That is, okay, yes, that is the hard part. But here, I'll go one step further that's hard for people. Normally, when you go to hit a golf ball, no one ever cues you of exactly when you have to take the club back. So what's really tough is that these tones are going to be playing and start your swing. Start your swing. So what you have to do the way I coach it is let's not hit a ball. Let's just do a practice swing. If you have a trigger or anything you do, like Rory does a little uh, leg move, do that right before the first tone or do your waggling and kind of waggle to the tones and then do your trigger right before the first tone. And then you can start that on time. You've got a drill I've seen you do with the medicine ball where you take it and you really get up to the top. That'd be a really cool drill to do the tour tempo tones. You know, do that drill to the tones and notice what it takes to get you to move out of that starting position as your trigger move. And then use that in your golf swing. If you look at Kyle Berkshire, who's the longest hitter today, again, uh, along with Martin Borgmeyer, those guys are using an unbelievable trigger of the lower body to really rip that club out. And both those guys, 
can get that club back extremely quick. Borgmeier is the fastest tempo I've ever seen at about 16.6. And then Kyle is right behind him at about 18.6. So the trigger move is key or, or some sort of thing to cue you to go to the first tone. And then what I always coach is when we're starting with the tones, do not worry where the ball goes. Because, yes, your first couple will be kind of scary. But as you start doing it more and more, you get used to it and you start to figure it out. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, something that I think um, might make this easier for the listeners is that the idea of a trigger and a, a slightly faster backswing, and I'm not saying that you need to get as fast as these players, but something that can really help with the idea of getting the club moving faster in the takeaway and not being stuck in a static position is an idea of something called a counter move. And basically what I mean by this is that, and this is how most of us are taught, um, but it's not really what good players do. It's just hard to see with the naked eye. But when it's measured with kind of force plates or 3D, you can often see it, is that we consider the golf swing starts from our setup position and then everything moves just in the direction of the backswing. But what really happens in good players is before they start their backswing, they get a little shift of something. It might be their pressure. It might be their knee. It might be the butt of the or the grip of the club shifts forward a little bit. But if you think that we're trying to move as a right-hander, we're trying to move to the right in the backswing, it's much easier to move to the right if I do a tiny shift left first. And then as I do that shift left first, now instinctively I'm going to be able to push back off to the right. It's almost like if I'm going to, say, do just a mini jump, I'm not going to jump from where I am. Naturally, even if no one told me to do it, I do a little mini squat before I jumped up, even if no one told me to do it. But when we're locked over a golf ball and we don't, like there's no incentive for us to move because the ball isn't moving, if we can get a slight shift to the left, whatever we do, maybe if you tap your foot, you drift into your left side with your pressure or your weight, you get the club moving forward, anything. But then off of that, that's when you start your move back. It's much easier to get into that tempo you're talking about, I think. I love the way you phrase all of that. I'm going to start using that in my lesson. So thank you for that. I love the way you phrase it. But I've always used something like that. And it's great. That's perfect. That will one, If you use that counter move you're talking about, you'll find it's much easier to, to take that club back to the tones of tour tempo and start to create that speed. Um, you'll, you'll find it's so much easier. Um, I love that. That's, that's beautiful. Okay, so we're, I want to move on because there's another couple of things that I definitely want to make yeah. sure we get in. Sure. So somebody goes to the App Store, they get the Tour Tempo uh, tones. I can't remember because I've had it for so long now and I've talked to you about it. Is there some guides in there about how they should implement the tones in practice in terms of like, you know, maybe because I know what people are going to do and this isn't the best way to do it is they get their 50 ball bucket they hit all of them in a row with the tones as opposed to, I, I know you, you know, advise something slightly different in terms of some practice swings with the tones, some balls with the tones, but then get rid of the tones and try and create that rhythm, you know, yourself, basically. Yeah, you're exactly right. Those are in the app and we're, we're working on redoing the app as well. The other thing that we have another app called Tour Tempo Frame Counter. So yeah. the app with the tones is Tour Tempo Total Game. But that tour tempo frame counter will allow you to film your swing and count your own frames. And that's kind of nice to do before you 
dive into the tones if you can, just to kind of go, oh, I'm 36, 12. Yeah. So just to give you an idea of where you were. If you don't, and that's a free app, so you can just yeah. get it for free. And, then, and that, that works much better face on, just so people yeah, yeah, know exactly. we're recording. Use, Do it face on. Use face on and also don't use slow motion. Use 30 frames per second, which is fairly standard because um, slow motion will be too hard to count those frames. But uh, um, yeah, that's what, what were we actually, where were we? I just lost train of thought. So I was just asking you um, when people are practicing with the tones, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to make sure that they don't do, you know, like a hundred balls in a row with the tones and then kind of, you know, wonder why the tones don't show up when they don't have them. Yeah. I think what I've seen for the best practice regimen, once you've got the tour tempo app and you're out on the driving range is the, the progression goes, can you do the tones to a practice swing? Just clip a tee out of the ground. And then if you can do that, then you're going to go to golf balls. And then once you can sort of find a golf ball solidly, you're going to hit, you know, let's say four or five balls to those tones. Now, when you're doing the tones, one thing you need to do is someone needs to be there with you when you first get started anyway, to sort of verify you're doing them. Because I've had a lot of students come in and say, hey, I'm doing the tones. I'm doing great. And then I watch them do the tones and they're not starting or connecting. You know, they're uh -huh. starting early. They're missing the second tone, missing the third tone. And the reason the tones are helping them is just because they're not thinking and they're trying to swing faster, which is good. Um, but anyway, so you, you need to have some sort of feedback mechanism there that can, you know, get with a teacher or anyone just to say, hey, am I matching these tones? Once you have that, then, yeah, it's what you talked about. You need to kind of get into the principles of blocked and random practice so that you, you know, you're going to do a set of five, then maybe do some without the tones and do that type of thing, shift clubs, you know, five balls with the tones, do some without that type of thing. Because when you go to the course, it's actually, they're illegal for tournament play. Uh -huh. So you need to be able to sort of create that rhythm and tempo in your own head. And some people actually think of the tones, others just have it baked into the system. But yeah, there's some good stuff in the app that you can check out and, and use. Yeah, just for anyone who's thinking about using the tones, how I've been using them recently, and it's helped me is, like I've been kind of posting a lot on social media for nearly the last year now about some of the work that I've been doing on my own swing and my own golf game. So I've been doing lots and lots of like slower motion swings and lots of slower rehearsals in my practice sessions. And what I find feeds into my real swings then, even when I go to the course, is that because I've been doing a lot of practice this way, that my tempo is pretty slow on the course. And what I mean by my tempo is that I oftentimes get like pretty slow in the takeaway, pretty slow in the backswing because I'm thinking about positions and then the change of direction and transition can be out of whack to that because I'm, you know, trying to hit the ball reasonably far or whatever. So something that I experimented with using the tones that I'm finding is really good in practice and helps transfer to the course is that I've been doing like five ball sets where I take five balls and do my slow motion rehearsals and I do my slower motion golf swing. But then I put the tone, I put my my earphones in and put the tones on for five balls. And I now do my rehearsals that I just did in slow motion to the beats. So I'm forcing myself to do the movement I want at a say real speed and then hitting five balls at the real speed and going back and forward, trying to match up. Can I get the slow motion moves that are, you know, the mechanics I want to now move at the speed I want, which the tempo, which the tones really, really help with. And you definitely notice when you go back to the tones, it's like, well, if I'm really supposed to be moving this fast, there's actually not much time for me to be trying to consciously control 
what's happening at each stage of the backswing, you know. I think it's a, a, a case of blending the mechanics and the tempo. You can't just try and use one of them all the time, basically. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And everybody's probably working on something. I mean, that's what all golfers do. So I think that's brilliant. And it's a great way to do it. And, and it is the slow motion reps are great and I do them, but you got to bring it back to real speed. And that's, I love it. I think it's fantastic. The other thing I wanted to just point out real quick is that one of the coolest things about the tones is whoever's listening to this podcast right now can go get the app, download it, go to the driving range and try it right now. It's something you can try right away. Mm-hmm. Everybody can increase the speed of their backswing or, or use this three to one ratio. And you can try it and see what kind of results you're going to get right away. You don't have to wait for shipping or a workout program or all these things, even though you and I are into all that. This, yeah. this is literally this that instant gratification that everybody wants. It's, 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 it's there for you. Yeah, that, no, that is true. And another thing as well where I think these can be really helpful for people, and you kind of touched on a similar point with some of the med ball throws and slams. Tons of the people listening to this do speed work at home, either with speed sticks or the stack system is now getting popular. And I know you have your tour tempo speed ball, but practicing doing it in your high speed stuff where you're not hitting a ball is a perfect way to see if it has potential for your, just your swing speed improving. Yeah. I love that. I think if you're using a lighter weight speed stick or lightweight, whatever it might be, you should try to use the fastest possible tone. You can Mm -hmm. use that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, that will that will completely change what people's perceptions of, of tempo are then for real. I know somebody's going to ask this question in response to the three to one ratio, and I've seen it brought up before. What about some of the outliers we see that are not three to one ratio? Some of the best players in the world. I'm thinking, you know, Hideki Matsuyama, Sung Jae Im. Like Sung Jae has an unbelievably slow fast like and <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Hideki has the long pause at the top. So. Yeah. What would you say about, I'm sure that not every player, you know, is exactly three to one. I'm sure there's some 2.9s or some 3.1s. Is it more a case of, like, it's not, you need to be exactly three to one, but most amateurs will do a much better job if they get somewhere in that ballpark, as opposed to the four and five is to one where they probably are now. You're 100% right. I'm going to answer the second part of that first, is that, yeah, this is not a, a... A perfect thing you could be 2.8 or 3.1 or i think dustin johnson's about 2.6 so it's really more of um just somewhere in that range and also what i what i really in the beginning we always looked at three to one now i also really look at overall elapsed time so if you're 2.6 to one and your overall elapsed time is one second that's that's great you know if you're 3.4 and your overall elapsed time is two seconds that's just way too slow so it's not about being perfect, but it's 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 about being uh, sort of within those specs. As far as all these these sort of outliers on the tour, um, and I want to also bring up Colin Morikawa because his swing is real. He's about four to one, and it's slow, very slow. A couple of things I'll say. First of all, most of these guys have perfect technical golf swings, like they're like Hideki and Sungjae and and Colin. Their swings are so unbelievably good. They hit it so unbelievably straight. And they also have enough distance. Most amateurs don't have technically good golf swings, and they also uh, don't have enough power. So they, you know, they need more power. So they need, you know, faster tempo. Um, and then also they don't have those good uh, mechanics to help them out as far as uh, they can get away with, uh, you know, le- sort of lesser tempo. Um, so the other thing I'll they say they don't have room to spare. 
That's right. They don't have room to spare. They need to get their te- they need to get as most as they can out of their tempo. Whereas That's the exactly. kind of exceptionally good pros can leave it in the tank because they have enough already. You got it. You're exactly right. That's my point there. Um, now I will say, Colin Morikawa, he's not the longest hitter out there. It would be interesting if he did speed it up. But at this point in his life, I don't know what would happen to him. You know, and one thing I always tell people is, like Colin Morikawa, he doesn't need to improve that much, right? If you're a 20, 22 handicap, you need to improve a ton. So the the slower backswing's not working for you. The other big thing you, you kind of look at is with every whatever you coach, whatever phenomenon you preach, you're going to find somebody in golf that can do the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the John Daly's not fit. There's the you know there's um, Jim Furyk swing. There's all these different things. Golf is such a unique sport. Um, so you're always going to have these outliers, but those are really the main things I see. Is that we, as, as as for the rest of the world, we need to use tempo as something that can help us. Yeah, no, perfect. Some really good info there. Um, I definitely recommend people give it a try. I don't want to confuse people too much, but we will get into this because it's uh, it's really useful and it comes with the app too. The tones and the tempos that you were looking at aren't just for long game and the full swing. You've also done research on short game and putting. Can you dig into the differences that you found there? And I don't think we need to spend as much time on it because essentially the implementation and how you can use them is going to be similar, but just what the differences are between putting and short game versus the long game and full swing tones. Great question. And, you know, kind of putting it, you know, shortly is the short game is two to one. The long game is three to one. The short game is two to one. And the main reason for that is for the short game, you're not trying to hit it as far as you can. You're trying to hit it really as straight and as to an exact distance. So you're seeing, and it's also, there's some physics involved that are more like a pendulum because the short game for the most part is not a double lever golf swing. It's more like a pendulum. It's just one uh, swinging motion. So anyway, it's two to one. Um, they do sound a little different and I'll, I'll, I'll play you, you know, just a quick short game tone. Bump, bump, bump. Start top impact, start top impact. So they're great. I mean, they are, I've had so many people tell me they're on the putting green. They put on their tour tempo tones. They start to dial in their stroke. Again, the last thing you want to be doing during a putt is thinking mechanics. You're thinking rhythm and the, and the target and all those different things. Um, but the big thing I see in short game that this is helping people with is that too many people want to add speed and add effort into like a chip or a putt. And really the tour pros don't do this. And these tones will help you do that because you're taking more time on the downswing. You're not trying to like just accelerate it through there. Now, if you're hitting some crazy flop shot or a buried bunker shot, some of the rules don't necessarily apply there because you're doing something real different. But for most short game shots, like chipping, putting, these tones are going to be great and really make a difference as far as, again, getting that conscious mind out of there and getting some nice rhythm. Yeah, the the short game tones for chipping and pitching are definitely what I've gotten most use out of, most use out of on the app. I had a horrific time a few years ago, essentially with like short game yips, basically, um, like really, really struggling with with essentially like confidence and any type of performance around the greens and, you know, going back to probably even like a hundred yards or so, anything that wasn't a full shot. 
And uh, the tones were definitely useful in terms of one was getting the rhythm. So I actually had an understanding of, okay, this is the type of flow that I should have to the movement. And as I was practicing with the tones and hitting shots better, I used to actually like repeat the tones to myself in my head when I was doing, say, on course play, take a couple of practice swings to the tones and then just repeat the same thing when the ball is there just thinking about the tones and it kind of takes away all your thoughts of essentially, you know, don't chuck it, don't skull it. How far am I going to hit it? It's just back through to the tones and it definitely starts to free you up a little bit. I love that. I think that's great. And I, I'll add one other thing to could help some golfers. The short game theoretically should be easy. It's not that hard physically to hit a putt. It doesn't require a lot of strength. It doesn't require a lot of any power, right? Those types of things that you and I talk about. Same thing basically with chipping. What you've got to be able to control, though, is when you hit the ground and your rhythm. So if you can do these chip, like let's say you're doing a chip and you're going bump, 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 and you hit that third bump and you brush the grass at the where you want to brush the grass, you're going to be a good chipper. And it's, it's just like what you just said right there. Because um, th- it's not like you got to worry about the face doing a whole ton of stuff or your body weight or loading your hip or just all yeah. different things you got to do in the full swing. So there's really no excuses for somebody not to have a decent short game, at least, you know, because it's not there's it just doesn't require a ton. Yeah, you 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 need you need to have a decent setup and you need to have because if you don't have a good setup, it's almost for especially for an unskilled player, someone who's kind of lacking in confidence after having a really you know tough time with chipping and pitching. If the setup is bad, you're really making it hard for yourself to get the club back into the ground at the right time. Sure. And if the and if the tempo is off, it's very very difficult to control where the speed is. You might get it very early, or you might get get it very late, and then the distance control is is really really tough. But um, yeah, if you can have those things and then get the tempo. I think like you're saying, it's it's something that shouldn't be because we don't really need to concentrate on hitting it straight because we're only carrying it, you know, 10 to 50 yards and there's so much loft on the face. And we don't have to try and hit it far because we can all hit the club we're using, you know, infinitely further than we're hitting the chipper pitch shot. Exactly. And, and I don't want to oversimplify things. I mean, the short game is obviously. <laughs> but from a, from a basic making good contact standpoint, yeah, from, it tends to not be bad. Yeah. You have a 20 or 30 yard chip. You, you should be able to do that. And, and you know, there's nothing limiting. There's no limits there on, on what you're doing. And tempo is a huge piece of it. Like you said, setup's important. Um, but those, it, it's just a great way to go practice and kind of get yourself zoned in. And uh, it, it also adds a little bit of um I'm not saying practicing golf is ever boring, but sometimes our minds can wander. And so when you're doing the tones, you can't wander. You've got to have that mind focused. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I think if people do some experimentation with that, it would be useful, definitely. It's kind of like one of those things that good players do intuitively without ever needing to think about it. But if you're a player who doesn't do those things naturally, which is most of us, they're things that can really help. You know, it's it's something that can help a lot. Yeah. We're going to slightly um switch from the tones and the tour tempo stuff john into some more of the things that you do in the gym to try and improve your strength and power you have um some really interesting i suppose ideas and pull some some different variations on exercises that you do and the way that i would term it is that 
essentially you've done a really good job of breaking down certain key movements or phases in the golf swing and then trying to come up with exercises that can enhance those movements. And that's something that I talk about a lot in in my stuff. I often actually, I'm not critical, but tell people to be wary of trying to replicate golf swing movements with their gym training. And the reason why I usually say that is because most people are, in my experience, most trainers, when they do it, they get stuck in a gray area where they're not doing anything that's specific enough to the swing where it's actually going to change their swing mechanics or help them. And they're definitely not doing anything that has a strong enough stimulus to challenge anything from a like physical fitness or physiology standpoint. They're not going to be getting stronger and more powerful. But some of the stuff that you do seems to actually like basically solve those problems really well. And you use a term called recoding that I've seen you talk about. So I probably waffled for a little bit too long there on that kind of point. But basically, tell us about what you do with your physical training and how you try and merge it with your golf swing. First of all, I love the way you said all of that. You're right. People do things that there's not enough stimulus to help them physically, and it's not specific enough to help their golf swing. So you've said that brilliantly. What I call recoding is changing your muscles and your joints and the way you think and feel about the swing, but not doing it through the conscious mind, doing it through two principles that you obviously know well, but the, the, your listeners may not. They're, it's called reciprocal inhibition and then specific adaptation to increase demand. And you and I may be brothers from another mother because you do a lot of things that are very similar to my recode moves. When you have the band above you and all those different things, I've been doing a lot of that stuff for a long time now, and that helps to recode. But so specifically, reciprocal inhibition, if you flex your bicep, your brain's going to tell that tricep to relax. If you're sitting down, your hips are flexed, your glutes are going to get turned off. So how can we use that to get more, let's say, shoulder turn or more thoracic mobility? Well, I've got an exercise where we put the band around your back and then you start to work into this move. And so you're, con you're contracting muscles that help you turn, but then your brain starts to use reciprocal inhibition to let those other muscles go. So I found that to be better and more specific than trying to do a stretch or certain things, especially if you're a little bit locked up. So that's reciprocal inhibition. Specific adaptation to increased demand is what all fitness basically is based off of, you've got to give the body a stimulus. So if I tell you to use the ground and open up your hips, you may or may not be able to feel that or do that. But if I put a band around your hip in the proper you know, uh, orientation and say, hey, I want you to stretch this band, your brain knows what that is. And it's called, that's called um, implicit learning so that you're, you don't have to think about like, what do I need to fire to do this? You just go, oh, stretch the band. And that's what you do. So like I said, you have done, I've seen you, a lot of your stuff I would consider recoding. And I love those exercises you post because they're that's exactly what people need to be doing. Um, so I think too much we try to rely on, okay, in the golf swing, you need to do this, move your arms here and do that. Well, you and I think stretching is kind of overused in the golf world, but how can I get this muscle to go to that spot? And we can use some sort of device or fitness or resistance to help that. Yeah, I think an important point there, and that's that's like really good, interesting stuff. An important thing for, say, the the, the normal golfer, like someone whose expertise and background is is not in you know 
the science of the golf swing or in in kind of physical training and things like that is it's not so much that stretching is bad at all it's more so think about what's actually happening when you're holding some specific type of stretch for a prolonged period of time or even more extreme than that when somebody else is stretching you through some range of motion and you're not doing anything and two terms that I think will help people uh, in the future when they're thinking about their mobility training is active versus passive mobility work. And what you're describing here is very active mobility work. And what I mean by that is that your brain and your nervous system that sends the signal to the muscles to move is coming from you. There's a very strong signal this is the motion that I need to create. This is the range of motion I need to go in. And when there's a force requirement there, that's a very strong signal to our body. And we know that we can do it ourselves. And it's coordinated into the movement we're trying to improve. Whereas if you're doing something, you know, like lying on a table and somebody is stretching your leg up, you know, with, a, with their arm or you're using a towel or a, you know, band or whatever to stretch your hamstring, that's very different. That would be called passive flexibility where, yes, the tissue is being stretched, but we're not actively in control of how that muscle is actually or how that joint is actually moving through a range of motion and what muscles are being contracted to do that. Is that kind of what you're touching on? Yeah, you, you, you say these things probably better than I do. That's exactly it for sure. And I've just found that one of the things you said there was when you give the body resistance, it lights you up. If, if, if I give you, if I say, you know, imagine you're holding a, you know, doing a bicep curl with a 10 pound weight, and then I give you that 10 pound weight, that just changes everything as far as lighting up the muscles and the brain body connection. So it's the same thing with doing a deadlift or any other exercise. When the brain feels that resistance, there's quite the connection there. So if I can take a move you need in the golf swing, like shoulder turn or getting your arms there in the air, and I can figure out a way to give you a resistance to connect that that's when you start to see some good things happen that are very specific to the golf swing. Okay, perfect. Um, just a couple of more things and then then we'll wrap up because I like to try and keep the episodes about an hour or less just so people aren't uh, trying to concentrate for too long. So you've gotten up to from, let's say, 118 to about 135 or 140 club head speed as a personal record. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I don't know about 140, but definitely mid-130s at one point. Now I'm about 130-ish. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So are there any sort of, say, training exercises that people may not be familiar with from, you know, my postings or they haven't seen yours that you think have been really effective for you? You know, maybe some things that aren't, you know, recognized uh with golfers as reason as really good exercises for helping with their club head speed. You know, I, I've got a couple, I'm real big in case you haven't figured out, I love toys. So I've got a lot of different toys that I've used specifically in the last just month and a half or two, I've been using the eccentric K box and I know I picked up about three to four miles an hour, which is a lot for me. Yeah. That's that, yeah. That is flywheel training. And, um, I was turned on to it by a student of mine that was using it and it's, it's pretty amazing. It really accentuates the eccentric movement. So if you go up with X amount of force, it gives you way more on the eccentric load, which are, I'm starting to research and find out that helps type 2B fast switch fibers. 
But the other thing it allows you to do is like if you're doing jump squats and I'm 52, I'm not going to do jump squats with a lot of weight. I'm just, I can't do it. But on this device, I can basically jump as hard as I want and I'm not stressing my spine. So I'm getting a ton of power outage, a ton of eccentric load, and I'm not getting the stress on the back. So it's huge. And they also have a, cape, a pulley system as well. But that is something I've found unbelievable. Just sort of lets you do this powerful motion without like a weight going flying, you know? So that one's been great. Um, the other one, another little toy I like that's only about $100 in this, if you have a landmine you have access to is the Pure Motion Omega. I don't know if you've seen that. That is, I don't think so. Oh, you'll love that. You, you definitely need to check that out. Um, so you put it on a landmine and it'll, it, you sort of do some rotary stuff with it. And it just really changes the way you um, interact on a landmine and rotation. And you feel one of the things I think golfers struggle with is rota rotation and lateral bend at the same time. Because when you rotate, you've got to stay lateral bent to get down to the golf ball. And so when you do the pure motion Omega, it really gets you that, that feel and that that's a PUR motion is the way it is. Um, and then the last kind of crazy thing I like in the gym is the tsunami bar. Those are great. They're, they come in all kinds of variety of sticks and deals. And you can do a lot of different exercises. It really emphasizes sort of a pulse and then a bracing. And I think there's a lot of that in golf, right? Contract and relax then very yep. quickly. Yep. And then also finding a rhythm of, of that. Um, for me specifically, that eccentric K-Box, I just, I don't know, I felt a difference in my lower body. And I feel like I'm using the ground better. So that's something, if you, if you got one near you to go try, I'd really highly recommend it. Or if, you know, like I said, I'm not going to do jump squats. I just, it's, I'm, it's, you, it's don't want to be land, you don't want to be landing with weight. Uh, I don't want weight with heavy weight attached. Yeah, on my so side. The K box is basically a platform that has some flywheels with like a, a cable pulley device, basically. That's exactly that you can, right. That yep. you can attach to yourself via like a little harness or, you know, like a belt strap or something like that. And it works by essentially it responds to your force. Is that correct? That's exactly so, right. Yeah, it responds. So as you start to like, for example, say, so say a squat, pick a squat, for example, on the on the K box. So yeah, you're wearing a harness, and then it's it's sort of attached to you. You don't really feel it on your spine at all. You kind of feel it around your pelvis. That's sort of where it's connected. So it's not on the back at all. And then as you start to do the exercise, the the faster you spin that wheel, meaning the more effort you give, the harder it's going to pull you down. And then you can explode out of that with all the effort you want. And again, there's no like uh, harsh jump, uh, kind of bouncing or anything like that because you're just pulling on that wheel. And the resistance is also variable. So what I mean by that is it is changing through the range of motion to match as you get stronger, more resistance is coming on. Is that correct? That is correct. Although you can actually, so you can, but you can use different flywheels. So the flywheels come in different weights. So there's a small, medium, large, extra large. You could actually stack on. I've seen some really strong guys on, on the internet using two extra large plates. So Here's a perfect example. My wife and I both use a medium plate and she can use it just, you know, I'll put, I'll have more power on it. And then I'll actually do my, my third set. I'll go up to an extra large plate. I'll go a little slower. I won't be able to do those as powerfully or as, as fast, but it's more yeah. weight. 
So you, you kind of get a different training okay. with that flywheel, heavier one. So last one on the flywheel, and then I'll, I'll get people to find out where they can get you because I'm actually thinking of getting a K-Box myself. I've never used one. Um, you will love it, yeah. Compared to, say, if we're doing a, a squat with regular free weight and we go to the bottom of our squat, the hard part is getting out of the bottom and starting right. to get moving. And once we get moving up, it's pretty simple to say, let's say the second two-thirds of the of the rep of the way up. Is the flywheel different in that it's very difficult the whole way through the range of motion? Or is it more just so that the force pulling back down is much more? There's more, yeah, you don't get to an easy spot, especially you control that. So okay. you, you can, you can as, you, as you're going in the concentric phase, you can make it get harder and harder by giving more effort. The more okay. effort you give, the harder it will be to do. But it is tough at the bottom. And I'm, I, I love the, a lot of things you post. I'm a big believer in not squatting your, your butt all the way to the ground because we don't do that in golf. We only need a certain range of motion. And um, that's kind of where I am on, on the flywheel. But, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's tough out of the hole, but it, you can make it tougher. by The harder you go, the more it will respond. Okay, and it keeps responding the whole way up. Basically, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't switch off as such. No, it doesn't. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. Might have yeah. to might have to move apartments so that I can <laughs> set up a, a K box and a K pulley. Yeah. Um. So, John, if people, I think loads of really good info in that episode. I'm sure it will help people. If people want to find out more about you or Tor Tempo, they can go to the App Store and search Tor Tempo for the tones and the frame counter. Yep, Tour Tempo Total Game is on both iOS and Android, and then the Tour Tempo frame, frame counter is on iOS. Yep, exactly. Okay, and the Total Game is the tones. The frame counter is for the video camera counting the frames. Yep. What about your website? Yep, you can go to Tour Tempo, and I've just launched TourTempoSpeed.com. So either one of those. Um, the speed one is a little more focused on speed and then tour tempo is the overall game with the short game and things like that. So tour tempo.com or tour tempo speed.com. Exactly. And are you interested in any online lesson stuff? Can, yeah, is there, can people yep. send you swings? Sure thing. You can reach me, um, at either one of those sites and we do, uh, some online, um, analyses and things like that and can get you going. And, uh, you know, get it's a great little deal get your tempo i can get you an rx on your tempo get you an rx on a couple moves you can do for the swing and uh i do a lot of those okay john thank you very much for your time i appreciate it i hope the listeners enjoy it i will uh put your contact details on social media and email and stuff there so they can get in touch if they have any questions and uh yeah best of luck with your speed training and strength training and all of your product stuff and um yeah thanks again for the time I really appreciate you having me on. I love what you're doing as well. And uh, yeah, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. I hope you enjoyed this episode with John Novosel. If you did, I would really appreciate if you could go and leave a rating and review on the iTunes store. That is not available to do on Spotify. But if you're listening on an iPod, that would be fantastic. And also, if you have any suggestions on guests you would like to hear come on the show, please get in touch and let me know. Any shout-outs on social media to promote the podcast and help it grow are much appreciated. You can tag at fit underscore four underscore golf. 
And of course, please feel free to to share with friends and family too. I will talk to you on the next episode. Thank you and goodbye for now.